0: music comes on and you think that I'm going to do that. Or maybe you don't. I don't know. But I did it. So there. How about that noise? Hey, listen, I'm glad to see you today. You know, during the Memorial Day weekend, here's what happens. Some of our people go somewhere else. They go out of town, although we're glad to have our locals here. But then other people come in from out of town, right? And they come in and visit. They used to have a preacher friend in Ozark, Alabama. And they would say, how was attendance this summer? He said, well, it's up and down. He said they're up at the lake and down at the beach. That's what he was talking about. And, and that's what we have here today. We had a big group from guests in Alabama in the last service. We got our students here today. Yay, students. Yay. How many, how many students do we have here today? How many, how many, how many of you know your students, first of all? Are you are you students or not? Do you not know? Okay. I'm kind of a student. I'm I'm still learning, okay? All right, all right, all right, good. Well, we're glad to have you. Now, we've been talking about an endless pursuit. Endless pursuit for what? An endless pursuit for God. See, we want to make God above everything else that we have pursue in life, have to pursue. And so, recently we talked about God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for pursuit of Him. So today I want to talk to you about something. This is challenging I want to talk to you about something today that's really tough, and that is pursuing God over comfort. Think about that for a minute, because you like to be comfortable. I know you do, because you tell me all the time. You come to church, and you say, here's what you say to me. You say, it's too cold in here, or it's too hot in here, and sometimes you're sitting next to each other when you say that, and I'm going... Well, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. You know, wear more clothes. Take something off. I, I know. Work it out. I, that's all I can say. But you know, we like to be comfortable. I like to be comfortable. I do. I'm going to be. I'm. I'm just going to go ahead and confess. I mean, if I can dance, I can confess. Can I? Right. I can confess that I can't dance. That's what I can confess. <laughs> okay. But anyway, we're glad that you're here because we want to talk about the pursuit of comfort. Now, here's the deal. When you and I pursue comfort above God, you know what we're saying? God, I don't need you. I've got everything I need right here. I'm comfortable. Everything's great. But you know what? The times in my life when I went through pain and struggle were the times that I grew the most closer to God. That's the truth. We don't like to do it. We're not looking forward to it, but it happens. Now, this is from... John, First John, and John was the beloved disciple. And in three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, John saw everything there was to say he went from the transformation to the foot of the cross. He saw it all. He personally witnessed it. And during that time, there was a dangerous theology, and he had to address it head on. And here's what he said in 1 John. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? And so he's saying, hey, listen, we like the world. We're comfortable in the world. We like to be where we want to be. We enjoy this life. We have family and friends. There's a lot of positive things. But he says, you know what? This world's going to end someday. And he said, I got a better one for you. And it's an eternal one. And I want you to focus on me even when you're in this world. Now, the best definition for what does it mean, don't love, the, don't love the cultural system of the world. Now, listen, culture changes all the time, doesn't it? You know, people decide what's popular. They decide what they believe. Well, I just believe this. This is what I think. And I just believe this. A lot of times when people get together, they're supposed to be having Bible study, and they really don't study the Bible, they just talk about what they like. Well, I like this, well, I like that. You know what you call that? Pooled ignorance. That's the truth, that's right. Because it doesn't really matter what we like. What matters is what God says, isn't that right? And so we're supposed to turn to him. I just wanna do whatever I wanna do, whenever I wanna do, with whomever I want to do. In other words, I want to be God. I wanna be in charge. I wanna make my own decisions. And I'm basically saying, hey, I don't need God. And he says, if that's your attitude, the love of the Father is not in you. No matter where you journey in life, what you have to realize is, hey, I can't just look for ease over struggle. You know, none of us are sitting around going, boy, I hope this week I have a lot of pain and suffering. I'm just, I'm just dying to have a lot of pain and suffering, literally, you know. We drift toward inactivity. Now, this is the truth, Okay anybody got a lazy boy recliner at home I got two that's right I got two of them I'm too lazy to move from this one to that one over there because we drift toward inactivity isn't that the truth now listen listen to me if you're married and you know you're you're a wife and you're thinking about your husband and what happens is that ladies when you were dating this guy was a poet he wrote you poems I mean, he knew how to get in contact with the florist shop. He knew how to buy flowers and make sure that you got them. Now, you know, he's in his lazy boy recliner, and when you ask him to get up and come to dinner, you might as well ask him to climb Mount Everest. It's just not going to happen, right? You know, because we drift toward what? Inactivity, right? But now, ladies, you're not off the hook either. You used to do Zumba three times a week used to get all dressed up for date night. Now you put on a pair of yoga pants and stay home and drift into inactivity. And here's what we're looking for. We're looking for truth, but we're finding something that's counterfeit. Today, I want to talk about chasing counterfeit comfort, because God has a definition of comfort we're going to see in a minute, but the comfort that we talk about in the world is not the same as God's comfort. Think about the word counterfeit for a minute. What does it mean? A counterfeit is a representation of something. It's an imitation, but it's not the same. It doesn't have the same value or the same depth. And there are two realities about chasing counterfeits. First, it reveals spiritual emptiness. It reveals spiritual emptiness. And so this is what John said in 1 John 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, there's a spiritual emptiness that comes from pursuing that. He's saying there's an aspect of the Father's love that you have not allowed to penetrate your heart. Because when you do, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're not just looking for the easy way out now. You're looking for God's way, Lord I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll say anything you want me to say. I'll be whatever you want me to be. I want to be yours. I want to be sold out for you. And so when you look at it, the love of the Father, you know, think about it. Think about this for a minute. What is it that God loves? You know, because if we can start loving the things that God loves, then we're going to get closer to him. God has a love for the poor. Do you care about the poor? Do you notice them? Do you have a ministry to them? What about people who are broken? They're just struggling and in pain and suffering. Do you ever even notice them? Do you think about them? What about folks that are forgotten? The world has just left them and by and they feel alone and deserted and, and they don't know the love of God. What about people who are faithful? These are people who are giving up selfishness to follow God, do we ever pray for them and celebrate them? What if the love of God was so deep inside you and me that we get disturbed by the things that disturb God? What disturbs God? Have you thought about that? Do I get disturbed by the things that disturb God? Because if we can be disturbed by the things that disturb the heart of God, We're following him. We're coming after him. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians. For Christ's love compels us that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, it's bigger than me. I've got to have something in my life bigger than me. I'm focused on God. I'm focused on his children. I want to do something for him that's eternal. I want to make a difference in this life. And chasing a counterfeit comfort gives you spiritual emptiness. Second, it eliminates our need for faith. Chasing something empty as comfort reveals that we don't need to have faith. I I can just have comfort. I don't have to have faith. In Hebrews 11, the author starts out, By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Moses. When he had a speech impediment and God called him to stand up to the most powerful man on earth at the time, the Pharaoh, and say, let my people go. And by faith, Moses did that. By faith, Abraham, Abraham had it pretty good. He had his family, he had his friends. He was pretty well off. He had a lot to offer. There was a lot to give up. And God says, I want you to leave your home and I want you to go someplace and I'm not even going to tell you where it is. I just want you to set out, and I'll show you where to go. And you just keep going, and trust me, and I'll get you there. And he had to leave. But ultimately, it led him and the children of Israel to the promised land. When I was in high school, they took a group of us from Tennessee. They lied to us and said, we're taking you to Florida to church camp. They took us to Baldwin County, Alabama. The bus pulled in. There was a concrete block building. I said, what's the matter? The bus break down? They said, this is it. I said, this is what? They said, this is Camp Glory. I said, does not look too glorious to me. But it was. And one by one, God called us into the ministry. Five guys from my home church ended up, and God transplanted us down here to Florida. I mean, we weren't smart enough to know this was the promised land. We didn't have enough clout to make all that happen. God just picked us up and transplanted us. And you know what? When you leave your family and friends, it's difficult, isn't it? Yesterday, our daughter Elizabeth, they live in Birmingham. They were at Lake Martin in Alabama. And our our granddaughter, Collins, is beautiful, gifted, perfect, gorgeous. I have pictures. How much time do you have? She's four years old, and she was on one of those paddle boards. She's four years old. And Elizabeth says, no fear. That was the caption under that because she's out there on the lake on a paddle board. And you know, There was a part of me who wanted to be there with Collins at the lake and be with my family there. But I'm here with you. (laughs) But you know what? I'm thankful to be here with you. I love you too. You're my family here. And you know what? It wasn't that long ago when I couldn't stand for more than 30 seconds at a time because I'd been in the hospital and I was so weak. And I couldn't speak that loud. My voice was very weak. I couldn't talk. And I just prayed that i get healthy again so that I could come back and preach. It's a privilege to serve this church. Woodlawn's a wonderful church. It's a privilege to get to serve here. It's a privilege to speak to you each week. I'm so thankful that God allowed me to do that. And by faith, I was willing to go. And now I'm in the promised land. By faith, Noah, he said, I want you to build an ark. And listen. When God called Noah to build the ark, they had never seen rain before, ever. The way that the the ground got moisture, the dew came up from underneath the ground. It's like a greenhouse effect. If you have a crawl space under a house, you've got to have a moisture barrier that you put down, a dehumidifier down there. I had a house like that because that moisture would come up. They had never, ever seen rain. He said, what are you building? He said, the ark. He said, why? God told me to. What? what's it for? I mean, we're near water. We're right here on dry land. And you know, he said, well, God's going to bring a flood. How's that going to happen? Well, the water is going to fall out of the sky. What? Water is going to fall down out of the sky. Yeah, what you been drinking, Noah? You're on another page, boy. You've gone around the bend. And then the first drop came. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe he was right. And then it started pouring. And everybody started running for the boat. But it was too late. The door had been closed by God. And they didn't have a chance. You see, by faith, you look like an idiot doing stuff a lot of times unless God shows up. And when God shows up, everybody else says, huh, well, they were right, weren't they? We left the Methodist church. Everybody was scratching their head. Why are you leaving the Methodist church? I had friends who talked to me about, well, that's okay for you. We're not ready to do that. Recently, they've been calling me and saying, okay, how'd you do it? We're looking at it now. We're talking about doing it too. One guy called me this week. He said, Joe Lay is the smartest guy in our conference. We should have been paying it. He really did. He said that to me. You know, when God is in something, you begin to see his work in it. By faith, not a single one of these people lived in comfort. They lived walking by faith. So here's the challenge for you and me. And that is, what can I do that would never work unless God supernaturally intervenes? God's called me to do it. He wants to make it happen. And the only way it can happen is through Him. The author goes on in Hebrew and it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, if you want to please God, you got to have what? Faith. Faith. His love will create more out of disruption than it will out of ease. Justin Wren discovered that slavery was still going on in the world when he went to the Congo and he saw this pygmy tribe. And what happened was these people, these pygmy tribe people, they had this land, but people took it away from them. These oppressors came in, and they said, This is not your land anymore. It's our land. You're going to be our slaves. We're going to tell you what to do. And you're going to have to do what we say. And they became slaves. And what can one person do? But but Justin Wren said, you know, I feel called by God to do something. And so he started looking at that. And he started trying to figure out, you know, and he started this cause. And it's a fight for the forgotten. And he said, what if we dug wells and we made water? you know, wells for these people so they can get their own water. And what if we raised money and what if we paid for this land and we gave it to them and they could live in freedom? They don't have to be slaves anymore. And this one guy from this vision that God put on his heart, he got all these people involved and all these resources, and that's what they did. Because when the love of God is in your heart and mind, you start looking beyond yourself. I'm not just thinking about my comfort. I'm thinking about other people who need something, other people who I can help. What can I do for them? And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, he's right. I'm on the wrong track. My trajectory is all about me. I need to go in a different direction. And maybe you do need to go in a different direction. And maybe God's putting a burden on your heart. Did you know that God puts burdens on our hearts so that we can pray about something so that he can answer our prayers. Prayer really is initiated by God. And he gives it to us and we pray and then he answers our prayers. So I want something authentic in my life. I don't want a counterfeit. And in 2 Corinthians, we get a biblical perspective of comfort. I told you we have the world's idea of comfort. Now I'm gonna tell you what God's idea of comfort is. Second Corinthians says this, Praise be to God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. I want to pause right there. Keep that up just like it is. That's okay. But I want to pause right there for a minute. Now listen, you can't get the comfort of God unless he gives it to you. The comfort of the world is nothing like the comfort of God. He gives us a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace in the midst of conflict. It's a peace when our circumstances say, I don't have peace. But God says, if you've got me, you've got peace that will rise above your circumstances. Don't look at your circumstances. Look at me, and I'm going to give you peace. And you're going to have something that is my comfort for you. And then it goes on and says this, So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So if you really want to be comforted today, God has the answer for you. And it's not in the culture but it's in his word. If you want to know what to do, he tells you, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And that's where it is. So we don't have to chase the counterfeit comfort. Now, there are a couple of things I want to challenge us with, okay? Embrace divine discomfort. Boy, now that's not a popular thing to say, is it? Everybody want to be uncomfortable, right? But that's what we're talking about. Here's what it says in James consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing and so you know we don't like to go through tests but God when he tests us he makes us stronger and better you know there's a word in Greek the Greek word for testing is dakameon, dakameon, And it's the word that we use to describe what a silversmith does with raw silver. He takes ore and he puts it in a big pot and then he builds a really hot fire. And then what happens is the silver starts to melt and all the impurities start to rise to the top. And then he just takes off the dross, the waste. And he pours that off every time. He does it over and over again until it's so silver you can see your reflection in it then because all the impurities have been taken away from it. Now listen, what if the pain that you and I have endured is God's way of saying, I'm just trying to get the selfishness out of your life. I'm just trying to get the sin out of your life. I'm just trying to raise that up to the surface so that I can remove it. And get rid of it so that when I look at you I see a reflection of my Jesus righteousness that we are because of Jesus and that's what we're looking for to see that happen in our life he just scrapes away the sin so that what comes to the surface can be polished for him and beautified and to make to be to look like him it's a testing of our faith and it, cre- it makes our creator smile. Maybe you have a child who is seemingly unreachable as a parent, and you've got the heartbreak of trying to help them, and it's helpless. Maybe you're paralyzed by a report of your health from the doctor, and you're scared. Maybe your marriage is not what it should be, and you felt so alone. Maybe you find yourself with some kind of behavioral or chemical addiction, and you just have a life of despair. What if? What if the setback in your life, God's going to take that and he's going to use it for a set up for his purposes to be accomplished. He's going to take something bad. He's going to turn it into something good. What if he's going to take your misery? He's going to say, now, listen, you're going to have a ministry. You're going to be able to help people because of what you went through, because when they go through it, you can help them. Laura and I went through infertility. We were trying to have children. We couldn't have kids. We went through a lot of pain and struggle and tests and money and all kinds of grief and years of that. But you know what? We have a great ministry now to people who are trying to get pregnant. We've had so many people in the churches we've served over the years. We have prayed with them and walked with them and talked with them and helped them. And We've seen them either adopt or get pregnant. And great things have happened. God has used that for his glory. And it's drawn them closer to him. What if the pain in your life is there just to produce the presence of God? Because his presence is what we're seeking. The most valuable things in my life have been accomplished through pain and the presence of God. Now, Paul goes on in Romans, the fifth chapter, to say, not only so, but we also glorify in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character character hope and hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us so you pursue that counterfeit comfort you're not going to find it but you will find it in god so we can embrace divine discomfort because lord i know you're going to use this for your glory and then second, we can embrace that this is not our best life. This is not our best life. Paul says in Romans, uh, it says, Yet we, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. So he's saying the suffering we go through now won't compare with the glory we'll receive ultimately. And this is not your best life. So don't, we don't have to hang on to it. I know we enjoy it. and We like it. And we want to stick around. I, I get that. We're human, but you know, the best is yet to come. We're wired for a life of eternity. And scripture says that it's coming and it's something we can enjoy. If you try to fulfill your eternal longings with temporary comfort, you're going to be empty. You won't be able to find it. You can't have heaven standards with an earthly existence. You've got to live on a higher spiritual plane. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So what's God's agenda? What does he want us to pursue? What is it that he has for us to do? What can we do to follow him today? And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even imagine what he's going to do. We can't even imagine what it's really going to be like, but it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be a blessing, and it's not going to be shallow or counterfeit. Embrace discomfort. Let pain bring impurities out of your life up to the surface so that God can slowly remove them and recognize we don't have to wait until eternity. We can begin to focus that way now. Now listen, I'm going to wrap this up. And here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you this story. And I was reading in my devotional this morning. And in Our Daily Bread, I read this little devotional. It It was so powerful. It spoke to me and it's right in line with what I'm talking about. I want to share it with you. Helen Rosevear is was an English missionary and physician in the African Congo, and she was taken prisoner by rebels during the Simba Rebellion of 1964. She was beaten and abused by her captors. She suffered tremendously. In the days that followed, she found herself asking as she was going through that, is it worth it? She said, when the awful moments would come through that rebellion and the price seemed too high to pay, the Lord seemed to say to me, change the question. The question is not, is it worth it? Is it worth it? But the question is, am I worthy? Meaning God, is God worthy? And it was in that moment of the pain that she was enduring, that the answer was always yes, he is worthy. That's why I do what I do. It says it in Revelation 5, 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He is greater than our circumstances. He is worthy. Amen. Father, this is not an easy message to hear, but when we really see it clearly, it's a message that we must all embrace. Lord, we, we, we fall short. We fail. We sin. We make mistakes. And you t- pick us up and brush us off. And you make us new again. And you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you give us a vision that's beyond ourselves. Where we look to you and to other people. How can we serve you? How can we serve them in such a way that it really makes a difference in their lives, that they get running water, that they get their own land, that we could do something just because we're yours for somebody else in need and that we might give you all the glory and all God's children said, Amen.